0: All right, Mr. Rush, we understand you were appointed under the Criminal Justice Act to represent the appellant in this case, and the court appreciates your willingness to accept that assignment, and you may
1: proceed with your argument. Thank you. May it please the court, counsel? Jonas, I'd like to first start by addressing the issue of whether the district court erred in denying the judgment of acquittal requested by Mr. Littlebird on the aggravated sexual abuse count of SIR, that's count one. The indictment charged that the, uh, five elements, actually six elements, that the defendant, an Indian in Indian country, knowingly engaged in an attempted to gauge in sexual act with SIR who was under 12. The statute is slightly different in that element number four says knowingly engages in a sexual act. And what came out of this trial results of Docket 77 with the following jury instruction. The crime of aggravated sexual abuse of a child charged in count one for the indictment has four elements. This is the important part. On or about June 2nd, on or about between June 2nd, 2016 and July 24th, 2016, the defendant voluntarily and intentionally, the word should be knowing there, caused or attempted to cause SIR to engage in a sexual act. That is, the intentional touching, not through the clothing of the genitalia of another person who has not attained the age of 12. Now the problem is here, that's not a crime in the statute books anywhere. What had happened was is that that, in drafting that jury instruction, the court combined a couple of things. Instead of doing sexual act and defining it as pe- penetration, however slight, under 246, went with the, the uh, sexual contact definition, which is the intentional touching of the genitals of another. And additionally, the wording is just completely wrong in that it said that he attempted to cause SIR to engage in a sexual act, which is not correct at all. There's had nothing to do with forcing SIR to do a sexual act. And... Uh, The definition of the sexual act is completely and totally wrong. So what ultimately ended up happening was is that the jury was given a jury instruction for a crime that simply doesn't exist in the law, and that's under docket 77. What we do know is that, and I've quoted those in my brief, that in United States versus Arrows, United States versus Foolbear, United States versus Coteau, sexual act requires penetration, however slight. And SIR came in to testify, first through Raymond Webb at Trial Transcript 101, and said it was over the clothing. Then she testified over in, uh, at 128. The question was asked to her, did the fingers go in between your lips? No. Did the fingers go inside and penetrate your vagina? No. And additionally, in the forensic interview that was conducted in 2017, she again testified that it was over the clothing. So there's simply no basis whatsoever uh, for the charge of aggravated sexual abuse. What you will see is in three, about 346 of the trial transcript, and I'm going to be Paul Harvey here for a second, this was complete chaos. When we went to settle the instructions, Jay Miller, opposing counsel, on the Friday before trial, had a medical problem. He had checked himself into the hospital, and the judge had said, nope, you're going forward. Get somebody else to do it. He shows up for trial. (coughs) We begin to go to trial. We get to the last date. At noon, passes out. So when you get to the jury instructions and you see this lengthy recitation of us talking about the jury instructions, what you're missing is, is that... Mr. Miller had passed out during the noon hour. Now we're going through and settling these instructions with Troy Morley. The clerk is there. I'm there. Mr. Morley's making things. The clerk actually objects to the attempt in the statute, and it becomes a free-for-all. After we get done doing these jury instructions, and there's no a review that's all the way through this, What ends up happening is the jury instructions are read only to realize that they're incorrect. And we go back and reread the jury instructions as to count five because they are incorrect. So there is no settlement process that's in here. Just as the nature of trying to get the case done, the fact that opposing counsel had had this medical problem and it was just complete and total chaos. It doesn't matter because what the there was some discussion about whether a lesser-included offense of abusive sexual contact should have been included. And I think maybe that's a possibility, but it wasn't in a decision of the court.
2: Is your position that that um, SIR did not testify to touching under the clothes?
1: She did testify. So if we go to through the testimony on page, I believe it's 150, when she was – Testifying she was talking about it being over the clothing. And then I believe at one fifty or one twenty eight the discussion is had and Jay uh, opposing counsel asks her, Well, was it also under the clothing? And then she says yes. And that's where the two questions, was there any penetration? And the answer is no to both of those. But
2: you do, isn't, there is doesn't sexual act include the touching under the clothing of the genitalia? That's, so, I, I know there's some, I know there's some overlap of some of these definitions and it can get kind of confusing, but it, I thought that in addition to penetration that that was one of the acts.
1: Under sexual contact, which is the abuse of sexual contact that would be touching but them.
2: not not act it's not under the under the clothing the touching of the genitalia
0: Right I think well wait a minute, isn't that correct? Isn't Judge Kelly correct that sexual act? Includes touching of the genitalia?
1: I don't believe it does, but that's
0: just from my reading
1: of the statute. Alright,
0: well I'm just looking at 2246. The term sexual act means the intentional touching, not through clothing, of the genitalia of another person. Okay. Who has not attained an age of 16 with intent, with a certain intent.
1: I believe that's for 12 to 16 but that, uh, that maybe that's my misreading of that that statute's kind of confusing
2: oh, so you're saying a, uh, that conduct when perpetrated against someone under twelve no longer counts as a sexual act
1: I think if you go back to the nineteen eighty six Uh, revision where these came about, the idea was abuse of sexual contact would be sexual touching of the genitalia and that the highest crime, the aggravated sexual assault, would be requiring penetration, however slight. And that's my reading of the statute. Um, I I would defer to you on on, uh, your interpretation of it.
0: Well, that's another form of sexual act, penetration, however slight. Because I understand it. Okay. Aren't there multiple meanings of sexual act? Well, what I have for 2246. Yeah, 2246 sub 2. Is that what you're looking at? Yes. And don't you see A through D, four different sexual act
1: meanings? Well, I would just, I don't know, I'd have to defer to you on that. In my reading of the 22, in my reading of the statutes taken together, it was my impression that required a sexual act, and a sexual act is defined as requiring penetration. So, but regardless, I think what it really comes back to is, if you look at the jury instruction that was given, the jury instruction that was given says that that he intentionally... Um, let me get that because that's important. That he voluntarily and intentionally caused or attempted to cause SIR to engage in a sexual act that is the intentional touching not through the clothing, of the genitalia of another person. So just the way that he's, that the jury instruction is written, implies that instead of knowingly, it has voluntarily and intentionally caused or attempted to cause SAR to engage in a sexual act. is completely and totally wrong uh, in, in that respect. I'd like to go to my next argument, which is that also that a judgment of acquittal should have been granted as far as tampering with a witness. On the count five, it requires uh, that there be uh, who, the, the statute says, whoever knowingly, corruptly persuades another person with intent to influence, delay, or prevent the testimony of another person. Here the problem is, is that my client had been told that the girls had recanted the story. He had talked to his attorney and been given specific directions. You need to have them report that to law enforcement. The behavior that he was engaged in was attempting to get the girls to talk to law enforcement. Have they reported it? Have they reported it again? His in his mind, he has no way of knowing that that isn't true, and it's logical in the fact that the mother of the children, that where all of this became, is present and on the phone during some of these conversations. So that Arthur Anderson case that I cite says that only persons conscious of wrongdoing can be said to knowingly, corruptly persuade. Um, He's following a very clear, clear directive of his attorney in providing and requesting that these girls speak to law enforcement. His,
2: his former counsel was not called as a witness. No.
1: Say? But I don't, think there's, uh, I don't think there's any dispute because there's telephone calls that were played during court in which we're talking about have the girls reported, have they talked to officer whatever. We knew the officer that they were supposed to talk to. He's making the request that they speak to that officer. So in his mind, because he doesn't know that that isn't true, it would be impop- improper for him to be defined as corruptly persuading.
2: Did anybody testify that they indeed told him that, even though it was maybe a lie, maybe not?
1: Yes, his mother testified that she had completely lied to him the entire time, and um, it was also by implication that the sister, uh, the mother of the children, had also uh, been encouraging this throughout.
2: And when you say encouraging this, did they expressly say, "Yes, I told him that the girls"? had recanted.
1: Yes. I will reserve the rest of my time.
0: Okay, you may do so. Mr. Colliner, we'll hear from you. Thank you,
3: Your Honor. May it please the court, uh, my colleague, Mr. Rush. I'm Kevin Colliner from the U.S. Attorney's Office in South Dakota, presenting for the government. Um, I didn't know we were going to have a jury instruction uh, question here, but um I'll just talk about that issue very quickly. Uh, voluntarily uh, and intentionally has been held many times to mean essentially the same thing as knowingly. Um, and uh, so I, I really don't think there's an issue uh, there. I think my time might be best spent here, Your Honors, if I give you a timeline of the abuse that, that was an issue that was brought up in the briefing, uh, the, the claim was that, uh, the government didn't properly nail down when this abuse occurred, whether it occurred before this, uh, this girl turned 12 or, uh, the timing of it. So, um, you seem to be arguing that today. Well, I know. We,
0: uh, You want to address the point that was raised today about the sexual act?
3: Sure. Uh, the court has it right, of course. The, uh, 2246-2D, uh, defines sexual act. Uh, without any requirement of, uh, penetration. It's the intentional touching, not through the clothing of the genitalia of another person who has not attained the age of 16 years. In this case, it was 12 years. Why is that? Because we have 2241, uh, the aggravated, uh, enhancement charge for a child under 12. That's the reason that it was, uh, charged as 12. With an intent to abuse, humiliate, harass, the greater arouse, or gratify the sexual desire of any person. This court, uh, has uh, held um, several times that penetration is not required for that subsection. The White Bull case, 646 F3rd, 1082. D. Coteau, another case, 630 F3rd, 1091. And did the victim
0: here or the girl testify that he did touch the genitals, genitalia? Yes. She did? All right.
3: Yeah, and then what was
0: your, you wanted to say something about the age?
3: Well, I just wanted to kind of give a timeline because uh, I think that's uh, it has to be cobbled together from kind of circumstantial evidence in this case because we had a victim although she was uh, 16 when she testified she really uh, you know dated back some years and she struggled with telling exactly when it happened so what the government did is they put on a, a first a witness um the probation officer who placed mr little bird at the residence after he was released from prison that's uh at uh 75 through 76 of the testimony this june 6 2016 mr little bird testified he thought it was june 5th of 2016 uh that's at uh page 262 um then the, this was all reported to law enforcement, July 25th, 2016, reported by the mother in this case. Uh, so if there's any question as to whether he was actually living there, the woman owned the house, her, his mother reports it to law enforcement. No real question uh, that there's an overlap. Uh, testimony from SIR, uh, living there, uh, uh along with Mr. Littlebird until uh, in, until he was arrested. Uh, so, you know, the government nailed down in a number of different ways when this happened. by the way, SIR herself testified she was living there uh, at the time with chemo and when the incident happened that she was 11. That's uh, page 134 of the transcript. So um, in terms of the testimony about the abuse itself... Um, in this case, I suppose, in a certain sense, it's lucky that the victim was 16 years old and could describe things uh, in some detail. She said it was skin-to-skin touching. She said, he touched my vagina. Um, that's uh, trial transcript, page 123. First over the underwear, then under the underwear. She talked about how he cupped his hand in a C shape, uh, described okay, it I think we need all in detail. Details you want to sure. talk
0: about the... Uh Corrupt persuasion question?
3: Right. I think the, the point that's, well, first of all, uh, the jury instruction number 16, to corruptly persuade someone means to persuade or attempt to persuade with consciousness of wrongdoing. That's the model jury instruction. That's what the jury was told here. Uh, so there's no question that the jury was told that Mr. Little, Little Bird must have had a consciousness of wrongdoing. Well, they convicted on the count, uh, they found beyond a reasonable doubt that he sexually uh, abused this child. And now he's trying to get uh, a recantation. So, you know, we're asked, I guess, to consider, well, maybe he didn't know that the recantation was false. Well, the jury found that he had actually abused this child. So we're, we're linking together the reasonable inferences here for uh, the sufficiency of this evidence. Certainly, the jury could find that he had a consciousness of wrongdoing as he's asking his mother uh, to get these girls to pony up a recantation statement. Uh, the jury found beyond a reasonable doubt that any recantation, essentially as to SIR, would have been false, right? Because they convicted him on that count.
2: Were, were all of the were there some uh, phone call recordings that weren't introduced into evidence? Was, did that become an issue?
3: There was a question about that, and um, uh, the government, uh, the prosecutor for the government, made it a point to say, "I introduce you know everything, and I think he even questioned Mr. Littlebird, do you know of any calls that I didn't introduce?" And I thought uh, the
2: implication was that, well, you haven't introduced some earlier phone calls that would give this some background and right. context, but there the, nothing came of that. In nothing the came that of that was-
3: at trial. Yeah. Yeah. So it appears they were all introduced, um, at least uh, from the record that we have here. So, um,
0: so your theory on corrupt persuasion is just the fact that the jury can infer that he knew that the recantations would be false. Sure. Was enough to make it corrupt.
3: There was also this. I thought
0: he claimed that. Yeah. His lawyer had told him or something to that uh, he needed to have them submit something and that they had offered to submit it independent of him
3: right um, so I, I believe and what happens
0: corrupt if is it corrupt if a defendant knows that a victim is voluntarily recanting and he had nothing to do with that and he wants to take advantage of it. Even though he knows it's a false recantation, well, isn't he allowed to use that?
3: What he's doing is he's in call after call asking his mother you know would you would you get him to do this would you get him to do this and and so you know, in terms of the consciousness of wrongdoing, um, I think the jury can fairly infer here that he knew any recantation would be false um, now the he's most he's cases
0: where Witnesses recant and the recantation is false and the defense attorney calls the witness and that's not obstruction of justice, is
3: it? Well, it becomes obstruction when, uh, when the defendant is calling people to persuade those, uh, uh, you know, those, those victims to, uh, you know, pony up the statement that the defendant himself According to the jury's verdict, would have known would have been false. There was also, uh, part of this was about these, um, uh, these, uh, uh, stimulus check payments. Uh, so that's, uh, you know, kind of intertwined, and um, an offer intertwined with these conversations that he could give, you know, part of the stimulus check. So, I mean, there was argument made there. Is it
0: implied that that would be in
3: exchange. For that, that was certainly the government's argument. Um, and I think there are reasonable inferences that could be drawn from it. He knew it was recorded jail calls, so we always get these kind of, you know, coded language uh, in calls like that. But it, um, you know, there are certainly uh, inferences a jury could draw uh, regarding the stimulus payments and these recantation statements. So, um, unless there's any further questions, I'll uh, Well, thank you I'll for your Thank you. Do you
0: care to make any rebuttal, Mr. Rush? All right.
1: You may proceed. The clearest way that you know that Kimo Littlebird did not have a clue that these stories weren't true was because in his efforts to get his mother to do this and get these girls to talk, he encourages and ends up getting law enforcement to go out and talk to SSW, who then makes a report, we supersede and add another charge. You'd have to be insane to make that kind of recommendation that these people go talk to law enforcement, get charged again, and then continue unless you really believed. And now that SSW charge, he was acquitted of that at trial. So he is honest in his belief that his mother and his sister have told him that they have recanted these stories. And it came about as a result of his sister stealing all of his girlfriend's stuff and the report came out the next day. So when that same lady is saying, well, now they've recanted their stories, obviously he believes that he talks to his attorney numerous times. He talks to, he's encouraged them to contact law enforcement. And that was the charge that the jury was deadlocked on and we had to do the Allen charge or tell them to go back and reconsider. The last thing that I want to do is I want you to really, and I know this is a fairly new issue, is to spend some time on that jury instruction because what it says is that. The Council, of the jury go, go
0: ahead. Back.
1: No, no, that doesn't matter. Boy, coming into this case, I had no idea
3: there's going to be a tax on a jury issue. You well,
0: and I went debrief, back and I just I went back and read it again you while had you were had arguing. the same reaction, I, but You can't just show up at oral <laughs> argument on an issue that wasn't even in the briefs.
1: You know, when we were going through these jury instructions, I've never quite been through anything like that in my life. It was, and the clerk was Why didn't changing. Why did you raise it in your brief then, <clears throat> if it's such a good issue? Because I didn't see it till this morning. Ah, oh, yeah. That's yeah. Appreciate you, Austin. Yeah, I
0: guess so.
1: (laughs) And when I'm looking through the transcript, you know, the reading of the instructions is not reported on the transcript. And then when I'm looking at these jury instructions, and I've got piles of submitted ones. The clerk was changing. the uh, Whatever is changing. Troy Morley is making these things. It's complete and total chaos when you look at it. But then this morning when I'm looking at this, I'm going, well that isn't even the right thing, that's not even a crime. He corruptly, he voluntarily intentionally caused or attempted to cause SIR to engage in a sexual act. It's, it's, it has nothing to do with what was the charge and it's so far off from uh, the law that I just don't think we can, just can leave it stand. Thank you.
0: All right. The case is submitted and the court will file a decision in due course. Thank you to both counsel. You are excused.
3: <laughs> Please call
0: the next case for argument. The sixth case for argument is United States versus Garrett Waters.